Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. So this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And guys, uh, you know, we have a special guest today, and I just want to talk about how I came across Charlie Engel. Um, as many of you know, I'm, I'm interning at a um, facility up in Maryland, and uh, Charlie came up and spoke to the patient population there regarding his book, which is called Running Man, a memoir of ultra-endurance, and it was released in September of 2017. You can get it on uh, Amazon or in bookstores and all kinds of different vendors, but uh, he spoke to the folks up there, and I was fascinated by Charlie because I have talked about this before on this podcast, that one of the things that I did when I got into recovery myself was really kind of revisit physical fitness. Now, you know, not that it was new to me because it wasn't, but my drinking had really taken that away to a great large extent. And then I wanted to regain my health. And, and, and as I work in this field, I have found that physical fitness and exercise is really something that a lot of people, when they get into recovery, get back into. And sometimes get back into it with a vengeance, let's just say. And I think what you're going to see with Charlie is that's exactly what happened with him. But he's going to talk about his story and uh, how uh, we have come to know him is Charlie Angle, the the man, the ultra runner that he is, and just talk about that and how running has uh, saved his life. It saved the life lives of many others, to include myself. And then um, you know what he's done, how it's helped, and what the future is going to hold. So with that, Charlie, welcome to the program. Mike, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the great intro. Well, I'll tell you, Charlie, you have a very interesting story. Um, and anybody that has gotten into recovery, we all have uh, interesting stories and they're, they're life-saving stories. But yours uh, takes a bit of a different twist, and that is, uh, you know, running. You know, I go out and I've run. I've actually uh, just, in, in all honesty, I have done uh, a couple of ultra marathons myself. Now, we're talking 50 miles. I've done 50-mile runs. Um, which would sounds like it would be sort of a warm up for the the things that you're doing, but <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and how did we get here to this point in in your running career? Yeah, thank you. Well, it is. Um, I certainly wouldn't call it you know any sort of a of a chance situation as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I did grow up with running in my background. Um, I was a pretty I was above average in high school as a runner, you know, but it, but not good enough to really take me to any big schools to run in college or anything like that. But I, you know, I grew up with uh, uh, the knowledge that my grandfather had been the head track coach at the University of North Carolina mm. in Chapel Hill, where I ultimately went to school. And, and he was the coach there for 40 years and was you know, an All-American himself, and he, he died when I was young, but I think that the way it, you know, as it is with many families, you know, I sort of grew up being told I was going to be a, a runner like my grandfather, and and I think that that, you know, especially for an addict, it's interestingly interesting how we hold on to, I don't know, little tidbits. I call them shards almost that embed themselves in our uh, psyche and and they're just sitting there waiting for us to explore them. And so flash forward many years later, you know, I spent 10 years after college, you know, basically the only running I did was, you know, from the police or, you know, from responsibility or, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what it felt like. And not really, but, you know, it just was a, uh, you know, I wasn't a runner per se. Yeah. And, and yet, when I finally got sober at 29, and and the wheels had really come off in my life, and I, I made a decision that you know I needed to change things. You know, I, I went to a meeting uh, that night. You know, the night that I that I made that decision, and I uh, got up the next morning. And I put on my running shoes and went for a run. And it was awful. You know, it was two or three gut wrenching, painful, ugly miles, um, but it you know, it lit something in me. And I, I decided I would, I would go to a meeting every day for 30 days and I would run every day for 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, I, 
I saw no reason to stop. And I, I ultimately ended up doing those two things for three straight years without missing a day. So I went to a meeting and I ran every day for three years and, you know, and it, it, it opened my, my life to so many experiences. It opened my body to this realization that I had so much more to learn and, and also to offer. And, you know, in those first three years, I ran 30 or so marathons. And as I jokingly say, cause I obviously had that whole addiction thing under control. And, uh, you know, and I, I ran, I ran my ass off and I, I, I think I was running to actually try to get rid of the addict. Like I, I sort of wanted to kill that guy because I, I thought he was trying to kill me. And what I learned in fact was all those addictive qualities and that obsessive nature that I had in me. If I took that power and pointed it to positive things that I could actually, you know, build a really great life for myself. And, you know, I'm happy to say that that's what's happened. Well, and that's a really good question. And I know that it's it's a very common question that you get. And that is, hey, have you just replaced one addiction with another? How, how do you address that when people ask you about that? Yeah, there's no such thing as, I mean, seriously, there's no such thing as, a, it's such a popular thing to say, and it's just nonsense. You know, there's no such thing as, I, I'm sure there are people who can become, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see here, addicted to exercise. Almost nobody knows anyone like that. You know, and usually it comes across as this very strange criticism of sorts. I mean, if you addiction is what I used to do for 10 years, you know, and addiction is what you know, you and I both know what that looks like. If you're doing something that is actually healthy, <laughs> I don't, you know, there's, I, it would be like eating too much healthy food. Oh, you're just addicted to healthy food. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I'm sorry, I guess, you know, like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that. And, you know, and, and there's this, um, I, it's a very funny thing, Mike, and I, I found myself talking to my wife yesterday about this, but we, you know, you look around general society, you know, 70% obesity here in the United States, and everybody's a critic of everything, yet there is so little just personal responsibility taken for things like you know, your own health and exercise and nutrition. And, you know, everybody wonders why our healthcare system is broken and costs so much. I mean, all you have to do is look at pictures of, of us from the 40s and 50s yeah. as compared to pictures today. And I mean, it's because people don't take personal responsibility for their own health. They want somebody else to do it for them. And so I always tell people, yeah, if somebody feels better about saying, oh, well, look at that guy, he's just addicted to running as if it's uh, some sort of criticism, I'll, I'll own that. And, and as I always say, I never got a DUI while running, nor did yeah. I, uh, nor did I lose my car, you know, like behind a dumpster after a running binge, but I, I sure did that stuff after you know, after drinking and drugging. Well, it's funny that you say that, Charlie, because I've, I've actually had the same thing asked of me, you know, in working with people. And I've done peer counseling and, and now, now that I'm in the counseling world and people know that I, I do a fair amount of running and cycling myself, okay? And people will say, well, you know, Mike, didn't you just give up one addiction for another? And, and it's funny that you, you use sort of the same analogy that I do, and that is this. Uh, I've never had, I, you know, if I'm working with a client, I'll say, you know, I... I've never had a boss come up to me and say, you know something, Mike, I've noticed that you go run five miles every day. Okay. I've noticed that you went and, and I'm going to talk to you about this. Here's the deal. If you don't stop running five miles a day, you're, you're, we're going to have to get rid of you. I, I've never yeah. had that conversation with a boss. Likewise, and I'll even tell you this, I, I have, it's funny when people come into treatment, the things that they become concerned with. I've even had people say, well, you know, Mike, um, I, I go to AA meetings, and I notice that people drink a lot of coffee. I'm very concerned mm -hmm. about that. Do you think that I'll become uh, now I'll just become addicted to caffeine? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't problems with that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but uh, or a good thing. But I've yeah. never had a boss come up to me 
and say, you know, Mike, I, yeah. I, I've noticed that you drink a lot of coffee at work when you're here. Yeah. Listen, yeah. if you don't cut back on your coffee, we're going to have to let you go. That's <laughs> not, I've not had that conversation. Now, you can have another discussion about the health of drinking all that coffee, but the point being is, it seems to point away from the central problem, and that is, I have had people say, "Look, if you don't stop your drinking, we're gonna re- we're gonna take you away from your, you know, that you're gonna lose this position. Or if you don't stop dr- drugging or uh, inappropriately using the internet, we're gonna take your job away from you." So it's funny yeah. that people become focused on um, the wrong thing. And and I also had I remember one individual I was talking to who uh, literally it was a couch potato. The, this person had no no physical. Uh, activity yeah. in his life whatsoever in a horrible diet. And I remember him saying to me, because I, I, I said to him, hey, look, let's let's really talk about your health. Let's try to get you moving. Let's try to clean up your diet and let's start exercising. And th- this particular individual said to me, well, I'm concerned that I'm going to become an exercise addict if uh, if we move in that direction. And I thought, well, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because right now there is no physical activity in your life whatsoever. And now if you get to the point where uh, you know, in the next few months that your your family's falling apart because, you know, you, you're not going to your kid's soccer game on Friday because your training plan says you have to do a 12-mile run and then you miss the Saturday activities because you got to do a, a three-hour bike ride followed by, a you know, another run. You know, we can have a discussion at that point because you're missing out on your family activities. But I think we're a long way off from that point right now, you know, in, in early recovery. And so, I've always found that sort of an interesting, yeah. um, I think it would have to get pretty extreme before you start developing lifelong problems now. But I, but I will say this, I will say this, that if you are an individual that is not participating in life activities, family activities, um, you know, that might be a discussion to have. Uh, w- would you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Charlie. Yeah, you know, I mean, sure, you, you, you know, you certainly, especially if you're in recovery, you know, should uh, family should become a priority simply because it, it probably wasn't before. But I would also argue that I, I've lived by the mantra for decades now that if you don't feel good, you can't get well. Yeah. So that same guy who was asking you, you know, saying he's concerned about becoming an exercise addict, I, I, I'm going to venture a guess that he's watching four or five hours of TV a day, every oh, single yeah. day. How is that not uh, escapism and addictive behavior, you know, and, and yet there's absolutely no, and I mean, no benefit to that. So, you know, sure, I guess maybe you could watch a TV show with your kids. You know what you can el- else you can do? You can go outside and play with them. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which is still activity. Yeah. How about that for a novel idea? Is (laughs) attraction rather attraction rather than promotion? Right? Is to is to actually lead by example. And you know, it it is a it's a funny thing. I've never ever had that sort of you know criticism. It always feels like a criticism to me. But I've had I never had anyone level that that. that wasn't someone that was, you know, not in good shape and not taking very good care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, I'm listening to, you know, in the realm of hungry ghosts from, you know, by Gabor Mate right now. And it is the, it is the most amazing and fascinating book. It's not my first time through uh, about addiction and, you know, his language around, uh, you know, how a person becomes addicted, what what actually is the definition of addicted? And, you know, there was a fascinating thing that he said about, you know, Native Americans in particular had, there was no such thing as addiction. Like there wasn't even, it wasn't a word, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't something that they uh, even had a relationship with until, until you know, uh, they were colonialized, and and it's a, it was an interesting thing that without the the substances and the stresses and uh, uh, the behavioral changes that you know we're we're really not meant to do those things, but you know we're we're searching for some kind of escape from from our pain, whatever that is, and that's that's what addiction is about. It's not about, of course, as you well know the the actual act of drinking or drugging or the substance even it's about for whatever reason our desire to you know escape from the pain and so sure 
I still use running, you know, to this day, it's my, it's my happy place Yeah, where I, where I go to get my head together, to think about important things, to level out my emotions, to stay good, uh, in good health. And, you know, yeah. So I, I just, uh, I do believe that going back to something you said in your introduction, one of the things that, you know, I'm really interested in pushing farther with the addiction industry is, you know, a person will go into treatment and pretty much immediately be sat into a plastic chair and talk therapy will begin almost on day one. And it does. Yeah. Or cert- yeah. And I mean, and I'm not by any means saying that that's not, you know, talk therapy is a huge part of getting help and getting healthy, but equal attention should be paid to the human body. <laughs> and, oh, I agree with you there. Absolutely. Yeah. And usually in most treatment centers, even, you know, even one like Ashley, as amazing as they are, and they have this incredible gym and they have, and a lot of treatment centers have all of this. It's um, not mandatory. It's not compulsory to exercise. It's voluntary. And Look, unless someone has, that would be like saying it's voluntary to go to your group therapy session or to your one-on-one counseling. Like it diminishes physical movement uh, in a way and somehow says that it's not as important as the other parts of your counseling. And I, I see it differently. I think that that is a, it's one of the reasons that, um, you know, people really struggle with staying sober long term because when hard times hit, I understand you need to call your sponsor, you need a therapist, you need all these things. But if you've learned how to go for a walk or how to do some yoga or how to do something that, you know, is, you know, feels good, helps with the emotions that you might be going through and is also good for your body. You know, I think that that's a skill that it should be compulsory, not voluntary. That's actually something I've been thinking about for quite some time. And I know when I went through treatment, there actually was not a gym there initially. And yeah. I actually mm-hmm. had a counselor that uh, I would go out and run uh, this loop. And I actually had a counselor come up to me and dissuade me from doing that, uh, thinking that I was just replacing and trying to avoid yeah. some of the discussions. I thought that that, and even back in those early days, I thought that that was kind of unusual because I uh, I realized even early on the benefit, like you just mentioned how you, you, you use running, that you feel better, it clears your head, you do your important thinking. I, I noticed that early on that no matter how bad of a day, like let's, let's face it, you and I both have been in recovery for quite some time. Um, you in your case longer than me, but the the point is is that um, and it, just because you're in recovery doesn't mean you don't have bad days. I've probably had more tragedy and and bad things happen to me in recovery than I did when I was drinking. And totally. so, what do you do on me those too. days? Uh, it was that is that the yeah. same with you as well? Totally the same. Yeah, and, and you know the dip, the difference is we get to, we get to be fully present and accounted for to to be there to face those hardships you know with without needing a substance but i would argue that you know when the stress hits me it's not always a run sometimes i just want to go out the door you know have a little fresh air go for a walk and if that has become you know like this coping mechanism for me which it absolutely is there quite literally is no downside because if i sit in my living room or in a chair and i think uh about whatever this difficult situation that might be going on in my life or ad nauseum i'm talking to other people on the phone or we're having arguments with loved ones whatever the stress wherever it's coming from it's just not that's actually not healthy for me and and yet, if I'll just get out and clear my head for a minute and have a nice walk, well, I don't care if it's, you know, there, as I like to say, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you know, you just have to you just have to be uh, be ready and to and to use it. So if you didn't learn to do it, you know, while you were in treatment or in early recovery, recovery, it's 
you know, it's it's harder to learn it later. So I, I would love to see the treatment industry really embrace um, the mind-body connection. Um, I think you know, you may not know this, but I am I am the I am now the co-founder of a program called Freedom from Addiction, uh, and my partner is Deepak Chopra. And so Deepak and I are launching this new program next year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it. I, we can talk about this in another conversation. But, you know, he understands uh, very uh, clearly the mind-body connection may be better than anybody on the planet, mm -hmm. you know, with with meditation and mindfulness and the need for, you know, he doesn't run, but he you know, he walks and does yoga and Tai Chi and movement, and he connects these to meditations that he does. And, you know, learning those skills, I mean, I, I could only hope that I could ever be, you know, as good at them as he is. But I, I do believe that for those people who are willing to take those extra steps, um, I do believe that there is great relief there's a solid foundation for them that will add to their uh, whatever avenue they've chosen for recovery, whether it's 12-step recovery or, you know, there's there's other choices out there. I, I always say that, you know, we all do it our own individual way. And it's never to say one way is the absolute right way. And, and yet the important part is you, you know, if you're struggling, you need to take action. It's, it's not going to go away on its own magically. That is so true. That is, that is so true. Um, I, I'll just share with you this week. Uh, and I didn't mention this to you before you came on the air. I just came out of surgery myself. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. had a, and there's going to be a, a correlation here with, with this discussion. Um, so I had gallbladder surgery and what had happened was about five years ago, um, it, I, I had some gallstones that came up and at the time they said, look, you don't need to take your gallbladder out right now. You know, it, it, it's fine, but you know, the, the, the gallstones are so still there. Well, then five years rolls by and until this week and, and sure enough, one of the gallstones got, um, uh, trapped in the duct and it got backed up and it just got backed up and backed up to the point where it was just so painful and we had to remove it. And uh, the surgeon said to me, well, it was a good thing that you came in when you did because this was not going to get any better. That had to come out. And looking back on it, I could have avoided this whole ordeal that I had this week had I addressed the problem five years ago when the issue came up. And, and I think that there, there, there's a correlation between my experience this week and, and recovery. And that is, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're suffering or you know someone that suffers, um, the issue has to be dealt with. Um, and the sooner you deal with the issue, the sooner you will get well. But the problem's not going to go away unless, like you just said, Charlie, it is addressed. The, the issue has to be addressed, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I always make the joke that there is no surgery for this, you know, no. because unless we re unless we remove our brains, that might do it. But <laughs> it seems a little counterproductive, uh, you know, to a to a long and happy life. But it's it, it is that old saying, right, if 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 not now, when, you know, kind of a thing. And the holidays, I think, really bring it out in people, yeah. too, where there's this gosh, there's this anxiety that goes with the holidays, you know, for people who are struggling with addiction or who are struggling in recovery, because it's, uh, you know, these are times for a lot of triggers. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I say all the time is that, you know, what, what happens to us isn't nearly as important as what we do about it. And, and so often, one of the other things that occurred to me the other day, and I do speak on this sometimes, is, uh, and this is almost back to our first part of our conversation about, you know, people sort of saying, seems like you switched addictions, or in my case, people came up to me in early recovery and said to me, literally said to me, hey, you know, dude, you don't need to quit. You know, you just need to slow down. Like, you, <laughs> you just got to get, I'm like, have you been watching me? Like, like if I could slow down, don't you think I would have done that by now? And it took a while for me to really understand that these were people who 
loved me. They might have been family members or friends, but they were all people that I drank with and that I used with. And guess what? They didn't want to lose their drinking buddy. So for them, it's I'm not saying they weren't concerned about me, but they were more concerned about themselves than they were about me, which is just human nature, right? I mean, I don't even blame them for that. It, but, you know, misery really does love company. And, and the last thing they wanted to see, even though they cared about me, was me get better and then forced to sort of examine potentially their own existence and the kind of life you know they're leading and like five of my drinking buddies from back in the day are now sober and mm. like once every three or four years you know and, and three of them died you know not those five five or sober three died and and uh the ones who got sober each time they came to me you know individually and said i wish i had done this you know, so much sooner. I wanted to do it when you did it because I knew I had a problem, but I just, I wasn't ready. And, and I, and that I always say, you just, you nailed it right there. You just weren't ready. You, you needed to suffer a little more. Um, but you don't have to anymore. And now, now you've got this incredible universe open to you and all you have to do every day is show up and, and your life will by default get so much better. Yeah, I've often heard it said in recovery circles that your life can't not get better. It won't solve yeah. all your problems. Not your all your problems aren't going to go away. And like I just mentioned, I've had probably more tragedy happen to me in sobriety than prior. But my ability to deal with it was so much better. And most importantly, I was able to be there for those that were in my circle that were suffering, really, really suffering. Uh, whereas I would not have been not been present for those people prior. Yeah. Many, many of your problems, I would say about 80% of the problems that you have in your life are due to your addiction, directly related to your addiction. They will likely resolve themselves to some extent. And then the other 20% or so, you'll be able to better deal with anyway. That's what I'd yeah. like to tell no, people. Er everything you said right there is just so, it's so true. And, and we, you know, people are afraid to make those changes, but uh, you know, and for me, uh, you know, as you, I'm sure you know my my story. It's all right there on my website, and we can we can talk about this even another day sometime. But you know, at 19 years clean and sober, you know, I ended up going to federal prison, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, it's a it's it's part of my story. And and I, while I certainly wasn't happy about it, like most challenging things in life, it has become now that i'm nearing you know 30 years clean and sober it has actually become a deeply embedded part of me that that i simply had to go through and you know fault or no no fault or fair or no fair uh, or unfair really doesn't matter like it's those stories are actually irrelevant things happen to us in sobriety that are are challenging and difficult and I tell people often that one of the reasons I've run so much, you know, I've run more than a hundred miles, uh, more than 50 times. And obviously I, I ran almost 5,000 miles across the Sahara desert. And that was two marathons a day, every day for over a hundred days in a row. And I've, I've done some, what to most people would seem like really crazy things. And I, I get the question regularly, you know, why do you keep, doing this you know what are you what are you chasing as if i'm some you know broken hollow person that's desperately seeking some elusive pot of gold and i i i have well i'm i try to always be nice to people i'm like look you know you you have it all wrong you know i am i now have the ability to be a seeker i get to be curious yeah. and adventurous and i've never run 100 miles when i didn't want to quit at some point and that's actually the whole point is i want to put myself voluntarily in a situation where i'll reach a place where i can't possibly go on and then i figure out how to keep going and i can take that lesson in a controllable situation like a run that lesson of getting past that hard moment 
translates directly to when I have, you know, an argument with somebody at work or a fallout with my spouse or some other hard thing that happens. Those lessons in running teach me that if I just let that moment pass by, I don't have to like throw a hand grenade into my whole life just because of that hard moment. And and that's what running teaches me. It, it puts me in a place where I get to a place that's just too hard to keep going, but then I find a way to keep going and I get to use that later. And that's kind of like recovery, isn't it? Because yeah, those completely. of us that have struggled with addiction, we have gotten to that point. How many people do you know, and yourself included, myself included, you got to the point where you say, I cannot go through life. I can't go through life without drinking. I just yeah. can't do it. But then you come to the realization that you can't continue doing it either, right? Yeah. And you reach that hard spot where you're just like, I can't, I can't go on. What do I do, do now? And you have to figure out a way to go beyond that point. And so that's the same analogy that you're describing here is there has to come a point where you, you figure it out. You have to figure out a way to get through that hard spot. And that's what we're talking about. Well, when we have the tools and just like in a run, when I feel like crap at 62 miles of a hundred miler, guess what? I probably need to eat. I need to drink. Maybe I need to slow down and walk for a little bit. Maybe I, you know, all these tools, they're at my disposal and I know what they are. I just have to use them. Recovery is the exact same way. That's right. <laughs> you know, you need to like, call a supportive person, talk about this, you know, take action. Don't just sit in this terrible space uh, because that's a dangerous spot. You know what to do. And if you choose not to do it, that genuinely is a self-sabotaging choice. And you, you are at much greater risk of, you know, of dooming yourself to another relapse and another round of this, you know, senseless, you know, punishment that we all know as, as recovering addicts. And, you know, it's, it really is. It's a, it's a celebration, I think. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? And, and you're not doing a race like going across the Sahara, a hundred mile race, a 50 mile race, even, you know, I know even the, the races that I've done when you're, you're doing anything beyond 30, certainly 50 miles, certainly the types of events that you're doing, you're not doing it alone, number one. You have to have a team of no. people. You have to have a plan. Yep. You have to have nutrition. You have to have, um, you know, what, what What about when things go wrong, the weather goes bad, you get injured, um, clothing, you know, the things that you can't plan for, nutrition, you know, on and on and on. Um, you know, there, there are so many analogies to, to recovery. The same thing here. We have a team in recovery. We have a plan in recovery. Um, we're, we're going into the holiday season. If you're in early recovery, you have to have a plan going into the family events, the business events, the things that you have to do. You want to have that plan, the support, the team, the people that are, what, what if things go wrong? What's your escape plan? You know, how are you going to address that? There, there are so many life lessons, recovery life lessons in the type of work that you're doing that it's, you know, that would be a book in and of itself that you could write about the parallels between doing an ultra uh, marathon like you do and, and how that equates to long-term sobriety. Yeah, no, it's the, you said that incredibly well, because at that same 62 miles when the wheels are coming off, guess what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, God, I have to do this for 38 more miles. <laughs> and it's the same thought when, you know, you're struggling in recovery and you're, you're, you say that dreaded statement to yourself, I, you know, I'm never going to drink again because that's what it feels like in that moment when in fact, all I know with the run, all I have to run is the next mile the next step. I don't have to run the other 38 miles now. I can only run the one that's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And if I do that one, I get to do the next one. And, you know, I also think, you know, what's interesting about the analogy, and I, I am certain, given your background, that you will relate to this entirely. You know, comfort is incredibly overrated. And, <laughs> and we... <laughs> yeah. You know, we tend as human beings and, and certainly in modern society, you know, we 
most of the things that we acquire in our lives are somehow meant to make our lives more comfortable. We might, we might couch it as um, we're making our lives better, you know, but usually it's something to make it easier. And there's, there's just so little value usually in the things that make our lives easier. Uh, the lessons all come. If you sit someone down and, and ask them point blank, you know, tell me the three things that have really, you know, helped you become the person that you are. Everyone will choose three challenging situations from their life because nobody became who they are from the easy things that happened to them. That's just not the way we're built. So a greater appreciation for our hardship. It's not about patting ourselves on the back and saying, you know what? That's right. I got through that. And here I am still alive and kicking to tell the story. And now it's my responsibility to use this incredible gift I've given to myself <laughs> to, you know, not only to make myself better, but to do hopefully what you and I are doing this very minute, which is service to others. Because I'm, I'm going to guess that that is absolutely, you wouldn't be doing this podcast if you if it wasn't about, you know, giving it away, giving away your skill, your knowledge and what you've learned mm -hmm. in recognition that that is what is going to continue to help you in your recovery. Yeah. And in helping others, we help ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's really so it's the funny thing. Act. I tell people all the time, I'm like, <laughs> the most selfish thing you can do is actually go down to the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day or to go whatever you think you're helping somebody else trust me you are but you are you are doing your you're giving yourself so many bonus chips and good feelings that you know that you can carry with you for you know, as long as you need them yeah yeah it's it's absolutely uh, true and we we have a responsibility i think once if you're one of those that's been blessed with long-term sobriety it's almost an obligation to help others, you know, point them in the direction, you know, not tell people what to do, but at least share your experience. You know, we talk about experience, strength, and hope that I got to this point, And in my case, you know, sobriety did not come easy to me. You know, there are people that uh, go to a meeting or go to treatment and the first time they, they go, they're uh, on, on to long-term sobriety. That was not my story, certainly not my story. And what I've tried to do is say, you know, when I f figured out like the magic sauce for me, uh, to simply explain, here's what I did. And, and if this works for you, if it's something that you can relate to, great, I'll pass that along. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just know that this is what I did. And if there's anything that you can glean from that, then please, you know, get something from it. And I think that the same is true in, in your story. And what I really like about your story is you are demonstrating what a sober person, somebody that now that is tapping into their capabilities, what is possible with the human mind and the human body uh, that absolutely would not be possible if you were still drinking and drugging. But when you take away drugs and alcohol and you tap into what is your potential and explore what that is, because I don't even think you know what your full potential is yet, but at least you're, you're going out on the horizon and looking for it but that would not even be on the table if you were still drinking and drugging today. No, I mean, you, you, I've never said it better myself than the way you just said it. And, and it is, again, look, I have this hopefully never-ending desire to continue to explore, you know, this world that I inhabit. And for me, that is through cultural exploration. You know, I want to see every corner of, of this world if I can. I like to see it from a bike seat or from my, you know, the soles of my feet and not in the back of a tourist bus because that's just not my style. And, you know, I want to experience it. And, you know, without sobriety and i don't mean the obvious like without sobriety i wouldn't be here that's very true and very obvious but what i really mean is without the curiosity that i gained through sobriety and the recognition that uh you know i knew so little 
when I came into uh, into sobriety and when I finally turned my life around, it was like I was a newborn at 30 years old. And she's in 30 years, I've learned so much, but but I've also recognized there's so much more to do, you know, and my my physical way of doing it is through, you know, is through movement, but it it isn't about the movement. You you and I, <laughs> I'll tell you um, one final, you know, quick story, which you, you, I think are already aware of, but you know, my next big project and I've, this has been like, you know, growing for 10 years now. I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but I made a decision about 10 years ago that I was going to try to go from the lowest place on the planet, which is the Dead Sea, mm. to the top of Mount Everest, which of course is the highest place on the planet. And so to do that, I'm actually going to swim across the Dead Sea from Israel to Jordan. I'm going to run about 2,000 miles across Saudi Arabia and Oman to the, to the tip of Oman. I'm going to row across the Indian Ocean about 800 miles to Mumbai, India, where I'll get on a mountain bike and and ride to Everest Base Camp. And from there, you know, it's just like two or three miles just happens to be like straight up. But, um, you know, it's this it's this metaphor for this journey that we've all been on. You know, we we are a never ending cycle of low places and high points and you know, I have been dreaming and scheming towards this for over 10 years now. And interestingly, it has actually not come to pass, but, you know, the foundation is laid. I have, you know, I have the support that I need most of it at this point. Um, that journey will begin January of 2023. So I have about a year still to physically and mentally get prepared and, and work on logistics. But the point of that whole story is I people get hooked into the physical part of it. Oh my God, I can't, you know, it's 5,000 miles, you know, and all of the, all of the hardships physically is what they think about. All I think about are the amazing cultural experiences I'm going to have along the way, the people I get to meet, because those are the things that in bed, nobody wants to see me run all the way across the Arabian desert. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> it's not, not exactly I'm a not, spectator event, right? <laughs> no, I'm like, after about five minutes of that, it's like, okay, what else you got? You know, and it's like, okay, I mean, they, they might check in occasionally and, and be like, oh, what if that guy's still alive? But um, beyond that, if there's not more to it, and that's how I feel as an athlete. Yeah, I want to go out there and I, I want to scrape away the kind of the craziness of daily life as I know it and go into the wilderness and do this thing. Like, that's what I look forward to is that uh, leaving my phone behind and not answering emails every day and uh, not doing any of those things, but focusing on this, this continuous forward movement, which again, it, most of us, if we could in our sobriety, eliminate sort of the pressures of daily life and just focus on moving forward, uh, then recovery would actually be maybe a little easier or we'd be able at least to focus on it. But that's, that's not reality. It's not the planet we live on. We all have these pressures and, you know, we, we are going to hit those inevitable hard parts. And so who you are as a human being is re is only revealed in fact when you get to those tough spots and and that's when you get a chance to to sort of see not just what you're made of and i don't mean in some macho way but like i mean more in a spiritual emotional you know mental way you get a chance to test yourself and you know life tests us every single day but but sometimes doing it voluntarily will teach you lessons that you can't learn otherwise yeah, and I really love what you said. Uh, I just wrote this down as a matter of fact. Who you are as a human being is only revealed in the hard spots of life. And I think that that is so true. And I know that, that in, in recovery that is true. And, and other people's character is revealed in those hard spots. I know when I came into recovery, I, I think it, it recovery strips life down to its basic elements. You find out who your friends are, that's for sure. You, you find yeah. out who's important, you know, who you're important to, who's important to you, and who you, who you can count on and who you can't. And it's because that is hard. Life is hard. 
And it is in those spots in your life where your character and other people's character is truly revealed. And I, I love that. I just love that you're, you're doing this, this human adventure. And that is just, uh, I, I really, I'm looking forward to hearing about this. And one other thing, before I let you go, because I do, you know, I, I know that you have to go, um, you are, you have another um, uh, celebration coming up this coming summer having to do with your anniversary, uh, sobriety anniversary. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, guys, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I am, uh, I asked the folks uh, at Ashley because I, I, I like them so much and I am sort of a, an ambassador of sorts for them, even though it's, it's not where I went, but I, but I just have a great respect for what they do. You know, I asked them if they'd be interested in kind of hosting my, my sobriety run. And what I mean by that is every year on my sober birthday, I run for the same number of hours to equal the years that I've been sober. So in, in, in this case, and I, I'm not one to normally project ahead because that's dangerous, but I, uh, you know, assuming I keep my act together, I will hit 30 years, July 23rd of next year. And so I will run on the loop around Ashley for uh, 30 hours. And I think we're going to have a thousand or so people on campus there. Um, And they're not there to honor my sobriety. What I'm asking is that people consider coming to honor their own sobriety or if they're not someone in recovery to honor um, the person who didn't make it, who, who didn't survive this disease or whatever it is that they want to honor. And I I think we're going to have great music. We're going to have great talks. Deepak Chopra is going to come. We're going to have, you know, who knows, there might be 30 hours of meetings, 30 hours of yoga, all kinds of stuff going on there. And, and I always say it's, you know, it is important to celebrate milestones and then get back to work. Um, this is one case where, you know, I get to celebrate and, and party in my style. <laughs> and so you're, you're invited, you're invited and you can, you know, I know you just had surgery, but, you know, as you get yourself in shape and I tell people, you can come, you can come walk, you can come, you know, you can do whatever you want. It's not yeah. about it's not about coming to run. That's my thing. And if you are a runner and you want to come run with me, then come do that. But that's not what it has to be. Well, um, if you, well, as you get to know me, Charlie, I think what you're going to find is I will probably be running with you during those 30 hours. Uh, I don't like things like surgery, slow me down. That's, uh, not how I'm made up. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. It would be my pleasure to have you out there. Yeah. The, the greatest conversations happen on the move. You know, yeah. I even I, I make jokes all the time that I still have a therapist after all these years. But, you know, I only I'll only talk to her if we're either on a walk together or, you know, we're walking on the and, and we're both on the phone because the brain operates better. The body feels better. And I think it's a way to be in touch with your, you know, your true feelings. And yeah, so this is going to be a, a genuine, enormous celebration and. You know, if people go to my website, it's actually that event's not up there yet, but there's a lot of other stuff about my Dead Sea to Everest project. And, you know, there's blogs and videos and podcasts and so forth that that are on the site that if anyone wants to know more, then, of course, they can. I I sort of uh, uh, I don't do a great job of social media, but I but I do my best and uh you know, so I try to bring people along on the on the journey with me if they if they care to. Uh, mine is very real. I mine is not one of those social media accounts where everything is awesome all the time. Yeah. <laughs> because because that's not how life works. Yeah. Well, Charlie, I, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the program. I really do. And, Anytime. Uh, so, folks, the, the book is Running Man, a memoir of ultra uh, endurance. Running Man, a memoir of ultra endurance. The um, documentary that's out there is Running the Sahara, and that's narrated by Matt Damon. And then also, of course, Charlie's website is uh, charlieangle.com. That's charlieangle, uh, that's E-N-G-L-E.com. And, of course, you're on Facebook as well. Any other uh, things that you want to plug or, or any other way that our listeners can get hold of you if you'd like to chat with them? 
Yeah, that's it really. And and all my website, you know, my email and my phone number are right there. So I'm I'm the easiest person to find. So if if someone ever wants to reach out, you know, personally and ask a question, whether it's about running or recovery or uh, some other thing, then by all means, I encourage that and I do my best to answer. And, uh, you know, that's what, again, that's what keeps me sober is getting a chance to uh, not, as you said very eloquently earlier, it's not our job to tell anybody else how to live their life or, or even how to manage their sobriety. But um, if we use attraction rather than promotion and we let other people see the things that have helped make us successful thus far, you know, maybe they'll find something of value. And that's, that's what I hope to achieve through, you know, all of those different pieces of media. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thanks again for coming on. And guys, as I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. I don't represent anyone other than myself. And my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and maybe it will help you too. And the same is true with Charlie. So if I've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to make take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well. Because that's what we do in recovery, and we help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart the knowledge that we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know if there's anything I... Uh, you know, talk to me about how I'm doing. Let me know if there's any topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you. And I know Charlie will as well. So take care. And guys, we will see you next time.